Welcome to the Blackout Podcast, where I get to talk to amazing people who do amazing things. And today I have the director of Drag Kids, Megan Weinberg. Did I get your last name right? Yeah. Sweet. Nailed it. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for coming to the podcast today. Oh, my pleasure. How are you doing? I'm really good. Um, I love summer, so I kind of resent that I now need a coat. But Oh, man, yeah. Um, but well, it's been a nice summer. I, I, I will say, right. The the you never really get like there's no I guess warning for fall it just comes <laughs> yeah. it just comes because like two days ago it was okay and yep. then now it's like wait because it was actually seven earlier this morning oh yeah yeah and yeah. I'm like oh no I'm not doing that but I guess that is one of the things that comes with living in Canada you just accept it <laughs> yeah. so or leave yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but covid's making that a little hard so, oh yeah. my god covid yeah. um <laughs> let's start with drag kids so tell tell me a bit about drag kids and, and like then we'll go from there sure yeah um so drag kids is the first feature documentary that i ever made um and it started when aaron oaks who's a producer with telltale in halifax um brought me in for a meeting and um asked if i'd be interested in um doing some development on this idea she had for a documentary about kids that do drag um and i had no idea that kids did drag at that point yeah um, like yeah. that was like whoa okay yeah. um so then was like looking at these photos and videos of some of the kids that the researcher had found and was completely I don't know I was really interested but I would think I was also partly I don't know like nervous like I initially was kind of nervous because I was like I don't like I wanted to make sure that this was coming from the kids mm. and not from like their parents oh, or something so then yeah, did different interviews yeah. with the parents and then it's like oh no it's totally like the kids this is gotcha. just like who they are and how they've been expressing like, themselves like some of those dance moms have you seen this yeah i don't want to yeah. say they are crazy but holy shit <laughs> like you just mess up that kid that that kid is pretty so it's great that you were worried about that like you know sometimes i think i watch some documentaries especially on mm. netflix and i'm thinking Oh, like, you know, there are so many difficult decisions as a director to make, especially which thing you are going to leave in the final product. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And with this, especially with kids who, like, are really excited about being filmed because they're three of them anyway were like super extroverts and like loved performing loved attention. Um, but at the same time, they're kids. And this film has lived on like more I think than any of us thought it would in terms of like festivals and stuff like that but also that's just out there and they don't have like once they've once it's out there they don't have control of it mm. anymore and like in some ways we don't either so just trying to be careful of like what so <laughs> I don't know how you handle it yeah, yeah. let's talk about drag kids because the very first time I it was a hot dogs yeah yeah, yeah. I was like, who is this lady with the pretty hair? Anyway, <laughs> I was like, um, so uh, Drag Kids came out of Hot Dogs and then it just ran wild. Which other festivals did he play on? 
Um, so after Hot Docs, it went to Inside Out, which was also back in Toronto like a month later. So that was awesome. Um, and then it, I'm trying to remember the order. Um, it was at a bunch of festivals in the summer. It was also at the Atlantic Festival, Atlantic Film Festival. Um, Finn. 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 I, I refuse to call it that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it had a great screening at the Atlantic Film Festival. <laughs> um, and then it was in um, New York at New Fest um, and RIDM in Montreal and um Rotterdam in the winter I wish like had I known what I know now I would have right fucking gone because it was like ah, I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna go yeah. to BFI Flair in yeah. March because yeah. it's my sister lives in London and it's beautiful um and anyway I did go and that was like the last festival that I tried to go to was BFI Flair in March mm. um and I flew over did you make it How, yes well, and no is... so it's like <laughs> yeah so you couldn't go I did go Wait. Yeah. So, like, coming back, how was that experience? Fucked. Yeah. No. Yeah. It was. Yeah. No, I flew out March 12th, and there was no travel advisories. It was right, like, right, It was a Thursday, right. and it was yeah. like, everything's fine. I checked. It was like, don't fly to China, was what the website basically said. And I was like, not going there anyway. Cool. Mm. Um, flew to London, landed March 13th, and then the world had changed. Yeah. And then Canada was basically like... We don't know if we want you back. <laughs> so that So like was did the scary. festival hold? No, they canceled too. They told me they were like, "Oh no, we're going ahead because things in London like England handled things differently." Mm. Um and it was I don't know what they were I guess maybe trying for herd immunity at first. So like I was mm. in London going to restaurants and bars with no my way. sister and her fiance and just having a great time, still thinking the festival is happening. Meanwhile, Nova Scotia, where at that point there were no cases, was completely locked down. Yeah. And it just seemed crazy. Like at that point it seemed I don't know, one of my oh. friends described it as like um, the Maritimes being uptight babies. <laughs> but they were also right. right. They were, they were right. also right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, London was just like super spreaders everywhere yeah. and like in well, pubs. And then, and then when did you leave? Like when did you get on a flight back? So that was like, I was, I had fortunately booked with Air Canada because West, like WestJet and Porter were eventually just like, nah, fuck you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, <laughs> Not long after the the chairman or CEO or whatever of WestJet just said, sorry, we are firing people and all that jazz. Yeah, so, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Air Canada, like I tried, um, I tried changing my flight because I was getting panic texts from people back home to be like, oh, no. they're going to close the country. Like you need to get back now. You need yeah. to whatever. And it was like, But if you go to the Air Canada, like I, I would go to the Air Canada website in the morning, there'd be the little plane circling, like circle of death. It would still be doing it that night when I checked it, like tried calling. That was a joke. So oh, it was just like I had booked a return flight and I yeah. just had to wait and hope that when you show up that it would day. still be operational. Yeah. And it was. So I was lucky. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when <laughs> you got to Toronto or? Yeah, I went from London to Toronto and then Toronto to Halifax. And then and I arrived home. By then, we didn't have the two-week thing yet, right? Yeah, I arrived home to the state of emergency. Oh. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So, let's <laughs> go back to drag kids. Happy yeah. happy thoughts. Happy drag kids, yeah. <laughs> so, um, drag kids happened, and, like, it, it just kind of took your career like that. Um, I, get, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm still I, here. <laughs> like. And, um, like... When you when you you know had that meeting with Aaron and you started developing his program, um the 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 show, you were more worried about the kids. Uh, did you 
do you have any outlook of how good the documentary might go? No. At that point, I just wanted to because I was like also hyper conscious of the fact that like I it just to be careful and honest with their stories mm -hmm. um, to show because I was really curious, like, what is what is it about drag that these kids love and what it, like how is it changing their lives and like what's it giving to them mm -hmm. um, and then also bringing them together what would happen there because like we didn't know for a lot of this so it was just trying to follow their stories but let them tell their own stories because like I I don't know just didn't want I wanted it to be as much them and as me staying back oh. as much as possible just to let it unfold and then same in the editing process like oh my god we had so much footage um i tend to like as a documentary filmmaker i tend to overshoot because i don't want to be judging on the day of like i'm never gonna need this <laughs> and it's like this, you don't know like i mean maybe some people do i don't and i don't want to start limiting stuff and then wish that i got oh my something god. so but, um what countries did you go to make the film because that's the part i'm jealous so. yeah right <laughs> well this was the first film where i really got to like do some cool traveling mm. um we went first to well, to do the demo we went to montreal and vancouver which is uh, both awesome mm -hmm. um but then once we got funded for the like full thing mm -hmm. we went to missouri was the first stop and i'd never been to the like american um Midwest or Wait, there's on a South. drag kid in Missouri. One. Okay, that makes sense. Just, I mean, yeah. I shouldn't say that, but yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, no, and like How was he... this, like, how was a kid? And the parents? The parents were amazing. And that's, like, this kid, he... He's a really special kid. He was the shy one mm. out of the bunch, but his parents were so supportive. Like he was the he was also the only one that had come out. Like he came out to his parents when he was ten, mm. um, and they were really supportive and like were asking him, "Do you want to go to Pride? Like, do you want to do things like that?" And then the way he tells it is like he saw a drag queen at Pride, and was like, "I want to do what she's doing." Mm. So then the next year, like they got him a dress and like a wig, and he went and. Um, they wow. just became like amazing drag parents, like his mom and his dad. So both. Missouri, Wales, did you go? Missouri, we flew from um, we flew from Missouri to Barcelona, which was like <gasps> really culture shock. Yeah. Um, and then went, drove down, um, I guess the coast of Spain to the like Costa Blanca, um, which is where Stefan, who's um, another drag kid, lives with his parents. They're British expats. Mm. Um, so they've been there for a few years. Um, yeah. And then worked with him there. So what would it, I, I, I how, like, would you, did you have in a day or two to like do stuff in these places? Hardly. Like we landed in Barcelona, I think. We landed, yeah, in the evening, and then the next... So, yeah, we had one day off in Barcelona, okay. and that was incredible. Um, <laughs> like, and we just, like... Was it in the summer? Yeah. Was it, <gasps> nice! Oh, I'd never been, and I would love to go back, because it was just one day, but, like, it was July, and it was... It's an amazing city. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, in, uh, your editing process for Drag Kids, what was that? Um months <laughs> it was we started i think in october maybe we had finished filming in august and then i had a month or two to like review everything and for that like i um got all the footage and i watch everything like i watch <gasps> b-roll that I was gonna whatever. be my next question do you watch every everything thing? so what do you do like do you like take notes and be like i kind of need xyz from there 
Yeah, so it's a combination of that. Like, um, because I was doing it through Telltale, they'll they're great and they get everything transcribed. So any of the interviews oh, are transcribed. So at that point, nice. I'm not having to do that. So I can just watch it yeah, and highlight. Yeah, um, so yeah. I like burn out a ton of highlighters, just like <laughs> highlighting still what color way do too you much. Like, do you use different colors? I like for yellow. Different things? Yeah, just because it's the easiest to see, but works. when I burned those out, I think I was onto pink and orange. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. <laughs> it was a mixture. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd you'd highlight sections you like, and then yeah, and then um, do something called a paper edit, where you essentially like are saying like, I think I wanted to start with maybe this quote um, with this kid in this environment, and do this scene, and then this, and then this, and then this, um, but primarily. The way I like working just because it's like, I never find that translates super well. Like I don't love the paper edit process, especially for a film like Drag Kids where it's such a process of discovery, mm -hmm. um, both during production and during post-production. Like I could see it for something formulaic where it's like, we're going to buy this house and then we're going to flip it and then this is how it ends every time mm. um but for this um warren jeffries was my editor and he's amazing so it was like an awesome collaborative process of just like going through everything and talking about it and putting up cards and like trying things and moving them and then i also have a tendency to like completely build it one way and then completely rip it apart no! <laughs> and then well, how, was, how was warren handling your <laughs> he... <laughs> no it was nice like he said by the end that he's like had become com more comfortable with like mm. ripping things up as a constructive process mm. as opposed to just like a flailing destructive process and yeah. it's like that's just and I don't know why I work that way but every single I can't think of a show that I've done where I haven't done that <laughs> <laughs> but it's oh man so yeah. so you spent what like two months cutting it up oh god more than that oh Mo my like, word it's hard because it's like, yeah, I think we started, I think we started in late October and then so November and December and then we would have had to send a rough cut to Hot Docs in January for their like latest possible deadline. Mm. Um, but then we still had February. Yeah. And maybe a little bit of March because we were also like, so we did the feature version of Drag Kids mm. and that's what went to Hot Docs and all the other festivals. But then it was ultimately it was for CBC, like CBC is the one that commissioned it. Mm. Um, so CBC POV, they needed their 44 minute version. And that was terrifying because it was like we were going what from like 78 minutes to like 44. That and, sucks. That yeah. sucks. How did you decide <laughs> yeah. what to take out? We just... Um, it was really like you just don't get to know the kids as well yeah. Um, because it's still like in terms of what happens and like who they are, what they do, that they're going to meet, that they're going to have these events, like all those Wait, things need to be there. Meet? Yeah. Nice. They all come together in Montreal and like perform together mm. towards the end, which is nice. Mm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we just had to make it motor along. Um, so it's it's a less like for me it's a less satisfying version because um, I like getting to know the kids. Do you think you would have been better going the other way around, like getting it to forty four, then just padding it back up? No, for me um, that's excruciating. And I did that on my last project where we did we went for the forty four minute cut first because we were on a timeline and had to get that 
done. Mm-hmm. Although then COVID completely fucked that. <laughs> but like initially we had a timeline. That, yeah. So we did it that way. And then we had to go to the international version, which um, like an international TV hour is way longer. Oh, what's than it? here it's like, I think it was like 53 minutes oh. or it's something weird because it's also PAL. So it's like that adds oh, on an extra Oh, yeah, because other... you have to convert the different, oh my geez. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sucks. Yeah. And that was just, like, that was hard. Like we'd add a bit and then when we did it to pal and it was like, oh fuck, we yeah. still need to find two minutes. And yeah, like when yeah. you have something you're happy with, it's short, like mm. fattening it up, it's harder. It sucks. <laughs> it sucks. So, um, and then you got drag kids done and drag yep. kids went crazy. And then you got this new project. Yeah. So was it also the same you got pulled into Telltale or? Yeah. So I was in Telltale editing drag kids and they, I guess I took a, yeah, because we were still very much editing it. It wasn't done. And I went over for a meeting with Aaron and Edward again. Um, and they asked about a couple of different projects that they had upcoming and if I'd be interested in the first one, which was a show they do called Spirit Talker. And that wasn't a good fit for me. But then um, I remember Edward was like, well, how do you feel about vigilante justice? <laughs> and I was like, great. <laughs> really interested. Um, and then they um, shared like these articles and like some research that they'd been doing on this murder that had happened um, in Cape Breton seven years ago. Mm. Um, And I was out of the province at that time. So I hadn't some, like I had somehow missed that, but then reading about that was just crazy. Um, And so, yeah, it's weird. Like at first, because I was just reading articles, it wasn't real to me. Um, Like, so you can just kind of engage with the ideas of like, wow, that's fucked up or whatever. But um basically these lobster fishermen had caught this poacher at their traps one morning Mm. and brutally murdered him or killed him. I guess I have to say Mm -hmm. (laughs) because how the courts found it. Um, But then going to the community and while we were still editing drag kids, like I was starting this other project. So went up to Ile Madame in Cape Breton um, to the community to try and see if there's anyone there that would talk about what had happened Mm -hmm. six years ago. Um, And that's, yeah, anyway, that was awful. Like watching people's faces change because they were still in pain over this horrible thing Mm -hmm. that had happened um, and that they felt completely misunderstood about, I think, too, Mm -hmm. because like the media really played it up as like murder for lobster. Um, And that was the big headline that kept circulating, like of these people in this small maritime community that just like killed this guy over lobster and it's like it's a lot more complicated than that um and was awful for both sides and awful for that whole community because it just ripped people apart Mm. um because everyone there's related for the most part like there were kind of three main last names on the island and it was yeah really really sad um and that was a tricky one because that i struggled a lot with like well do we need to tell this story? Like, why do we need to tell this story? Like, if this is painful mm. for everyone here, do we really want to be, like, picking at this scab? Um, what made you finally ask them to do it? I think it was it was a combination of things. Like, one, when I finally met this one woman who was had a story she wanted to share and was willing to talk to me about things mm-hmm. and realizing that... Um, there was a lot more going 
on and that it was a complicated story, but that it wasn't necessarily unique to Il Madame. So yes, this horrible, painful thing happened there, but it could happen kind of anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And so to be able to look at that and see like, well, what kind of like does healing, like how does, how could healing come from this or where do people stand six years later or, um, and also who hasn't been heard from in this story? Like the people that, um, I was really lucky who ended up being willing to talk to me were uh, two of the best friends of the man that was killed and like no one had ever found them or spoken to them oh, wow. before. One of them said he'd never talked to anyone about it before because there's such a culture there of like <clears throat> you just bottle down your pain. I think especially for the men. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and that kind of brought it to life for me in a way that felt like it was important to share because they're into their stories like again like if it's someone that actively wants their perspective shared that's something i can get behind and mm. it was until finding people that were willing to speak then i was hesitant because it's like if we're, we're just trying to force a story on somewhere that doesn't want it we need to fuck off with that but if mm. there are people that have a story they want to share great oh um, wow that's actually so did you when you i mean maybe you didn't but i'll just ask anyway did you kind of have an ending when you started working on it no, mm-hmm. I went back and forth. Um, like initially, um, initially from reading different articles, I was more on the sides of the guys that had killed him because um, it sounded like he was such a bully and had been terrorizing the community for decades and just driving people nuts. And while a lot of that was true, I didn't know his side of it in that like this was a kid that had dropped out of school um at 13 was illiterate had mental health issues had a really rough upbringing um and these same fishermen that had killed him in the community like a bunch of them were also involved in like getting him to poach people's traps um like they would hire him when he was starting when he was a teenager like to go fuck with each other's stuff so it's kind of like the hired hand for doing this thing and then it's kind of the same thing that now led to them killing him. Yeah, they created a monster and then destroyed it. Mm. Yeah. That's the ending you went with? I went with the ending, like the last line um, of the film is from uh, a, a local historian who was this really amazing man who's also an author and had also been a teacher and had actually taught Philip, the guy that was killed. Um, and he really summed up what... I really felt was true for the community. He's like, we let Philip down. Mm. Philip was one of us. Um, And that is the sense that I got from a lot of people there. And why the pain is still there is that like, there was this guy and he was, yes, like he was a mess. He was a menace. um, But he was also in pain and not helped by so many levels from like family to prison i mean he spent most of his life in prison uh, um that didn't fix things yeah yeah, <laughs> um, yeah 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 and yeah so it was just a horrible situation where it's like kind of everyone's to blame and kind of no one's to blame mm. um wow why do you always speak all these heavy things <sighs> i think with that one like initially i was just interested in the idea of vigilante justice because I I don't know I was curious what pushes a person 
to that point. Mm -hmm. Um, Because parts of me can kind of understand it. Like years ago when someone really badly hurt someone really close to me, all I had was rage. Still, all I have if I think about it much is just like, I want to fucking kill him. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I would, but I was curious like what... Get someone. Yeah. <clears throat> what is yeah. that last, I guess, domino piece that makes yeah. someone to do that? Yeah. Did you find that out? No. Unfortunately, um, the man, um, like there were three men on the boat that day. Um, and the one that had his trial first and ended up um, getting convicted of manslaughter, he died. Like he, he passed away um, Before... shortly. No, shortly after getting out of jail. Um and I I met him on the wharf once when I was up there filming, but he didn't want to yeah. talk. Um, and that was another one of those crazy disconnects where, like, I met this man that I knew had killed this other man. And I liked him. Mm. Like, it's just this weird thing. Like, he was a he just seemed like a sweet old man. Um, like you wouldn't pick him out from any other kind of sweet old man on a wharf in Nova Scotia. But mm. he had been part of like brutally killing this guy wow so that's done now yeah so we finished that <clears throat> up um we actually technically only finished the final version on friday so just really oh! recently um but cbc has um their version's been finished since sometime this summer i guess um and that'll be broadcast october 17th on gem um are you going to send parts to festivals I don't know. Um, Like at this point, all festivals are online. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be. I know you still call them the Atlantic Film Festival, but like, like, it's mainstream this year. Yes. Um, What do you think about, like, have you checked out any of the. So, TIFF, I've been having there. Have you checked in at any, any online festival at all? I haven't. No? Um, no. And I feel kind of badly about that. But yeah. it's also, I'm not looking for more opportunities for screen time in my life. <laughs> really. Like, I'm just, like. <laughs> You're done? No. Like, I have Netflix and I have my phone and Crave and Prime <laughs> and whatever. Um, and it's not like I don't want to support festivals. But, uh, yeah, I really probably should. Um make an effort to it just seems like another it seems like work honestly it seems like work having to go to their thing and work trying to like you figure to out and up. then i'm just gonna like and then, sign up to... and then get a link and send the thing and it's a different <laughs> payment thing and it's like it's uh, not like i love i love film festivals but i love the people the and the theater and, and the then hanging out in the like, evening yeah <laughs> yeah out in the evenings one of yeah. the best parts. Yeah. Because, like, that's kind of where you get stories and meet really interesting people. I mean, it's fun going to, like, watching the super rich people talk about stuff. But it's also great to watch films. Um, Like, I've been checking out the TIFF things, and it's, it's like... It, <laughs> Man, we should find a vaccine already because, you know, like, we might not have festivals till 2022. Yeah. That's <laughs> awful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, COVID can suck it. So... <laughs> okay, so this is done now. Are you going to take a break or are you going to jump into something light like, uh, I don't know? 
Honestly, I, yeah, after that one, it was like, I really want to do something fun, like Dry Kids, because Dry Kids was fun. Like, it was hard work, but yeah. it was, like, mostly fun. Um, so the next project, um, this won't be the next one I shoot, um, because we'll have to, like, it involves travel to California, New York, and Florida. So Which it's like, is none no, of the places. None of the places. Um, yeah, but that one's on, um, like... Uh, seniors like senior adult synchronized swimmers that are what? competing for this master's championship and there's like these that is the thing yeah how do you even find these things yeah. but that's that is i'd watch that yeah I'd watch they're that. awesome the characters but the like, people oh they're amazing just you know um you know the thing about synchronized swimming this and i hope i'm getting this is the one where people are doing crazy things under the water yes but they are smiling up yes here. yes yeah, so exactly. I watched a thing. Yeah. That's um, the best description I've yeah, heard. Yeah, I, I watched a thing and like, you know, they're like looking pretty over here, but you see what they are doing with their legs. It's like, it's crazy. Yeah. But then you're adding age to it. Yeah. How old are some of these people? Um, the oldest um, is a man named, um, actually there's one, there's this one woman, I think her name is Latisse Graham. She's 96. And she's part no of the Harlem way. Honeys and Bears in, in, in Harlem. Um, I don't, I think she's not part of the group anymore. Okay. Um, but Luther, who's I think one of the main members, he's 80. Um, so we're definitely hoping to work with him. He's the oldest, but the youngest is 60. Um, <laughs> the youngest is 60. Yeah. Yeah. And some of them are pro, like some of them have been doing synchro their entire lives yeah. and they're amazing athletes. Because okay. you have to be so fit to yeah. be able to do. So, but like, I mean, basically, it's kind of like, COVID, like, actually, it's kind of America to get their shit together. Then you go to shoot this or or is there any other thing you have to do before you shoot this? Um, There are, they need more money. Like, it needs oh, more okay. funding. Yeah. Um, But then, and then there are a couple, there, there's one, one woman in um, Calgary and one woman in... Um, somewhere outside toronto okay. um so we're like looking to work like it would, they'd be two of the main characters oh, okay. as well so we could start with them possibly earlier than the american ones mm. but um but things like people need to be allowed in mm. pools yeah. um <laughs> and they need to be allowed in a group because it's like it's a couple of them are solo performers but the group stuff is and they're really like in the in the age bracket that's super high risk exactly yeah yeah yeah, I didn't even ask about this. Like when you go to shoot this thing, how many people do you have in your crew? Um, really small. So it's usually like for when we were in Il Madame for the last one, it was just me and Paul McCurdy, um, who I've been lucky enough to work with both for that project and for Drag Kids, mm -hmm. the cinematographer, and then um, a rotate like a rotating crew of sound oh, guys because like it's based so on hard the to sound right. Oh, so, oh, it's a bit. Yeah, it was based on availability. Like it was just like people were so busy working that like oh. I had I think a different sound recordist every single shoot. Oh no, which is not ideal. Um, but it was fine. It was just like not Damn, the best. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. So it's just yeah. and I'm only rewinding now. So because we just jumped straight into drag kids. How did you like start film? I like, was it always documentary? Oh, yeah. So um, I grew up in New Brunswick and I didn't know that film the making. The French side? The English, okay. like in the South. I did French immersion, but. Um, you can't, it's gone now? 
No, I can still speak. I could still speak oh, okay. French, just like badly. <laughs> um, I can understand it oh, okay. better. Um, yeah, so didn't know that filmmaking was remotely possible, and I um, went to Mount A and I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts. So like I'd done sculpture and photography, and then oh. um, when I finished that, it was like, what do I do for a job? Mm. Um, and I ended up. Um, taking some photos for the coast and then deciding to do the journalism degree, like this one year program at King's. Mm. And it was there that I got to make a short documentary as part of this um, TV workshop. And I fell in love with it. Like I, it was, what did you love about it? <sighs> That's a good question. Um, I think it combined a lot of things for me. Like I got to work with a small group of people, mm. which I liked. I got to, do storytelling, but also make something visual, which I really liked. Mm -hmm. um, it just seemed like final, like that certainly both my degrees sort of came together mm. in that. Um, and I definitely, yeah, documentary was definitely my first love. And then I sort of went over to scripted for a while. Um, what were you doing scripted? A mixture of things. Like I did, I would make shorts, like I would write and direct shorts sometimes. And then I did a lot of script supervising and then moved on to like um, story editing and Isn't stuff like that. Isn't that a difficult fucking job? To oh, it do? sucks. Yeah. Oh, no, it's awful. Yeah. Especially when yeah. you're working with an asshole director. Yeah. <laughs> I was lucky and there weren't that many of those <laughs> commercials. Actually, commercials is where the assholes were. For the most part. Like, they were unbelievable, some of them. But like, <laughs> but. like you know, it's it's kind of difficult. Like, I don't understand why people have issues with scripts of advisors because they are literally making your thing look great. So why don't you just listen to what the person is saying? I don't know. Um... Yeah, I, I, that only came up a couple of times. Partly maybe because I wasn't that good at it, so I just wasn't catching things, <laughs> which is possible. Um, but I was, yeah, I mostly worked with pretty good directors, mm -hmm. I would say. Or, yeah, or they, like, so at that point, like, if I had a suggestion, then they'd be, like, grateful that, like, I'd noticed that the eyeline was going to be wrong mm -hmm. um, or that they were missing a certain line or a certain whatever. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. And then... It's just, it's a really hard job. And it I think is. my heart wasn't ever... Like, it was a way to make money and it was a way to, like, sort of get used to film sets. Mm -hmm. um, but I would also find myself getting lost in the performances. Like, I would end up watching the actors. Um, and, yeah, so that's just not helpful because I wasn't directing them. So, like, I should just be doing my job, but mm. I would get lost. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. And then when did the jump happen and how? Um, I don't know. If, yeah, that's funny. Like I went to the, I think going to the Canadian Film Center what did you helped. Do I did um, their screenwriting program. Like they have this sort of like five or six month intensive where they have um, five screenwriters, five directors, five producers, producers and four yeah. editors. Weirdly four editors. I'm not sure exactly why. <laughs> like 19. So I don't know why that's the magic number. But I did that several years ago. And then coming back from that, it gave me the confidence um, Do you remember what you write, what you wrote for your application? Yeah. Um, so the only feature script I've ever written, um, at What's the time it, it was called Crooks and Nannies. Really? Um, yeah. Is it a comedy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's a serious period drama. No, it's, um, it was about these three, um, three middle-aged women that go on an all-inclusive vacation south and then 
get kind of fucked over by this drug dealer who ends up smuggling coke back with them. And, but then they find it and they're not supposed to. And they decide they're going to be dealers. How the um, hell do you even have this double idea? That's wild. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so like, I, yeah, anyway, it hasn't been made. And Are I, you ever going to make it? I would need to rewrite it. Like, I think I would be horrified now <laughs> reading it. Um, but I still like the idea. Like, yeah, I still the idea is really fucking like great. The idea. And, and comedy is so difficult to write. Like, I, I'm so envious of people that can write comedy. I can't, I, no. I, really? I, I bet you could. No, no, I don't have the funny. Um, I, like... d- I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should write comedy. <laughs> okay, so so that's what got you into the Canadian films. Yeah, right? yeah. How was that experience, though? Um, I'll try, yeah. So I met some, like, the other people in my group mm-hmm. were amazing. Like, we had such a fun year because, like, and I guess this doesn't happen every year, but we all really connected and bonded and became good friends. Mm. And I'm still good friends with a lot of them, even though none of them live here mm. um, and would love to work with pretty much all of them yeah. um, in terms of like the actual program itself. I don't know. I definitely don't know that it made me a better writer. Um, what what would it involve? Like, would you have writing exercises or? Yeah, sometimes it was a lot of. Um, I guess my main problem with it was, and it's maybe partly an ego thing. It's like because I had also directed before and was planning to direct again. So being there and being in the writing group and basically being told the whole time, it's like, no, 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 you're not directing. You're writing this. And the directors were just like lifted up and like they got extra perks. They got extra people to come in and talk to them. It was like uh, this whole program's for them. And then you're kind of here to service them. Like the producers are there to gotcha. like help produce their short films. We're there to like write something that they then get to direct. And like the editors are like doing their <laughs> stuff. And I was just kind of like... No. <laughs> yeah yeah no i get it like that's my thing i don't yeah. think you know i i usually ask directors this thing like directing someone's stuff i mean fine maybe but like i don't know let someone like let someone direct something i wrote i don't know right i don't know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know yep. yeah so yeah no i really i can relate with that <laughs> I like i completely understand because, you know, they do something and that is not what the fucking thing was supposed to be. And and that makes sense because, like, different people will understand things differently. And, mm. and I get that. But, yeah. So, I, so I completely get that. So, you did CFC for, what, five months, you said? Yeah. It's, um, at the time, I think it was running from July until December. Okay. Um, and yeah. you kind of have to stay there all through? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. You have to, like, yeah. So, it's tricky. Like, you have to, like, you can't work because it's, like, you are full out for those five months. Like, it's crazy. Holy shit. Um, huh. Yeah. So, it was definitely, like, overall, like, I'm definitely 100% glad I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, yeah. you did it. Then you came back. Yep. And did you still go back to script uh, supervising? No, my first thing when I came back is I was supposed to be script supervising the second season of Seed, which was a series that was shooting here. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I decided no, I don't want to. I'm done. I want to. I want to be in a writer's room. Like I want to be in the writing department. I knew they would need a script coordinator, mm-hmm. um, so I went to the producer and said I wanted to do that. What does the script coordinator do? Um, it's kind of a sucky job. It's like, it's more just like going through the scripts and like proofreading them and like making every sure everything's okay to like PDF out to all the departments. Mm. Um, 
but it's the like low it's the entry level to like to, to, to like a writing department and then seed was amazing because i ended up getting to do like i ended up getting to write some teen scenes i ended up getting to like um unofficially story edit some stuff and like oh nice so that was really yeah that was a great um how experience. long were you on that for um just for season two and then oh, like, okay. it only it ended after season two oh, okay um and then what was next trailer park boys um doing what there so from there i went to i was also script coordinating story editing um my friend jonathan torrens was in the writer's room with the like with the three main guys that year and he brought me in or brought me in to meet them and then they hired me to work with them to mm. both um like script coordinate story edit and then script supervise uh, that's the a season. lot of job for one person well one led into the other and oh, that was actually oh, oh, like because oh, okay. once the scripts were done and then we were shooting them then that first like the season nine i guess is when i first started with them and that was awesome like that was the first time i really really enjoyed script supervising because i had been involved with the scripts from like literally the stages when, when it was started. them smoking hash and saying ideas <laughs> and me writing stuff down like was, uh, okay yeah okay how long were you on that one for four years oh wow yeah so they did they Wait, stopped you know, scripted so much like how do you now like leave that and comes to documentary though oh so at the same time like after the cfc um i talked to Stuart young who's the executive um producer of like CBC Land and Sea because mm. um, my boyfriend at the time had had a great idea for like you should do something on Acadian treasure um, which is a whole other thing like Acadians buried stuff before they were deported oh like is that it like is that is there a show about that yeah oh what's it called um, I think it's called Acadian treasure oh Pro I think so. yeah I can't remember <laughs> it was something like really just like it is this what it is, is. It? yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so that was my first episode of Land and Sea so then do you like you made it the road directed or yeah. oh nice yeah okay yeah and then i've done i did five i guess after that so what like in between doing like these other jobs i would also i guess yeah for a few years i'd usually be doing like one or two land and seas so documentary as well as like story editing script coordinating script supervising that's uh, you're drama. busy how are you managing all that though that's a lot of work only over a few months like only over kind of like yeah but like that time he's like oh that's it yeah yeah so yeah. how do you handle it i don't i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not i guess it was just like because i liked it and mm. i needed the money because it would also be just months of like the winter of yeah. like nothing yeah, except depression yeah, yeah, um yeah. and then yeah it's a weird cycle that it's yeah. a weird cycle that. So, so you know, you D-line and see, and then are you, like, ever going to do scripted again? or? Yeah, so I'm now, um, I really, I never want to let go of documentary because I, I had let it go for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. And I definitely want to keep doing it, but I want to get back into scripted. But I want to get back into scripted where I'm actually writing and directing my own stuff <laughs> yeah so we'll see <laughs> so i've just started working on a web series or an idea for a web series that i is it so like, like is comedy your thing or 
for this web series, it seems to be. So it's like um, scripted, your comedy, and then serious stuff. Let's go and talk about someone getting killed. And yeah, it see, yeah, maybe that's how I'll manage it. Yeah, because I need both. Like I, I yeah. like both. It's just yeah. like I definitely also need to go from one to the other because mm. living in that dark place is mm. not sustainable <laughs> for a long time. Mm. I, and then yeah. you like going back to this. What's this last documentary called? Um, the killing of Philip Boudreau. So. Going back to that, you shot all these things. You sit down and watch everything. Yeah. Like, don't you get a headache? Just, you know. I space it out. Oh, okay. Um, so I'll, I'll only do usually a few hours a day. And like, it's like heavy, um, heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. So, yeah, it's, well, bits of it would be really heavy. And then a lot of it would just be B-roll because people had not wanted to talk to us that day. So oh. we have... More B-roll of Il Madame than any, anyone, I'm sure, than I'm sure exists anywhere else. Like, they have a library of B-roll for Il Madame in all seasons. It's beautiful. Like, it's, uh, okay. Um, um, yeah. So, you're working on this web series. Do you have a name for it? or uh, I'm calling it The Spark. I It's very new. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And, and, like, so... What do you see that as, like, how long is it? How many um, episodes will it have? I think it's probably, like, maybe 10 minutes an episode and, I guess, maybe 10 episodes for a season oh, wow. or less. Like, it's at this point, it's still in the early days of, like, I'm trying to figure out the world because it's, like, it's ended up being in this kind of, like, fantastical almost like superhero-ish world which i have no experience of and like isn't even typically something i watch yeah um but for this to to explore these things like i think it needs to be there well um, so shows i'd advise you to watch is the boys on yes! amazon have you seen it? i've seen season one and what a cool right? yeah right right yeah. is season two good have you seen it yeah i've seen it but i'm i'm you know so there's a thing now on the internet where everybody's mad because it's like once a week oh yeah yes. and like the, right. the people that made it are like oh no we want to tell the story this way but listen human beings we adapt really quick especially these days so if you came out with the season one and you gave us everything what was yeah. like so I, I'm I'm thinking, but it, but it's but I've so what I'm doing is seeing it like two episodes and plus I'm okay. seeing I'm watching it with Raised by Wolves. Have you seen that one? No. You should see it. It's how should I put it? It's really really good. Oh cool. Yeah, it's like did you see the Watchmen? No. So so it's, where so is is it on Prime? Yeah, also? it's on Crave. On, okay, Crave, perfect. Crave has all these things. Okay. Um. So so it's like. It's only boys that's on Prime. And I don't know if you've noticed it, but I noticed that Prime is going to be on Bell now. So that'll oh. be nice. Then I don't have to switch things when I'm yeah, watching yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, but anyway, so it's like <clears throat> shows that are really, really good are um, Leftovers, which is like years ago, but then Watchmen, which is like last year anyway mm. and then raised by wolves is so good it's so good oh, it's cool. like the writing is great the acting is amazing and like it's ridley scott too so like oh, i think wow. he wanted to redeem i don't know if you've seen prometheus or whatever that film was called don't see no. it <laughs> <laughs> but like it's like he want to redeem himself it's so good yeah. so yeah i i kind of like i watched two 
episodes of The Boys, then I watch two episodes of Raised by Wolf. Because it's also weekly. Oh, okay. I don't know what's with the weekly thing. Yeah. But like, don't, the, the Boys, I mean, if you've seen The Boys, then you have your world pretty much ready to go. Because what I like about The Boys is that it's grounded in reality, but it's mm. this fantastical thing. And yeah. it's... It's a commentary on today's world. And that is what is brilliant about that show. Yeah. Like, I love that. I love that. Yeah. So, Spark, will you, will you change the cha- uh, title or? Will I change the title? Mm. I don't think so. The Spark's the main character. Oh, he's a, um, oh, oh, he's yeah. a superhero called a Spark. Well, he's, yeah. And that's what I'm trying to figure out is like how much of a superhero he actually is. Like, so his thing is that, um, he makes he brings people together. So like if you oh. feel like you lock eyes with someone across the room, that's the spark. Or like kiss someone and feel electricity, that's the spark. Or like see your longtime partner in a new new light, like that's the spark. So he's like oh. out there like getting people together. Wait, but then... are you gonna do one where if you swipe right then the person matches with you as a spark? Or no, that doesn't oh, Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> yeah, that's a but that's a really good idea. Um, cause that's, I guess how everyone meets Mrs. these days. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you have Spark going and you're going to write, but like, I think you've, you've, you have enough. I learned a new word that are the culture capital to go ahead and make whatever you want to make now. Cause I've had drag kids and this one's like, what is Megan going to do next? Huh? A web series. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Oh, man. Yeah, so fun to talk to. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having and, me. And uh, I have gems, so I'm going to go check out Drag Kids. Oh, cool. Sweet. Well, I can send you the feature version, which is like... Yeah, that one. Yeah. Actually, that one... Yeah, please do that. Because, like, like, I mean, you know, it's like, uh, they rip the soul... I mean, <laughs> don't tell CBC. Yeah, no. 44 minutes, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah we go with a 44 but... minute one. Yeah. Thank you so much, Megan. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. 